Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Saturday, September 29th. Great show today, guys. Awesome show. Uh, interview with Lance Allen from Milwaukee, TMJ4, NBC in Milwaukee, breaking down the big trade with uh, Damian Lillard going to the Bucks. Uh, talking some Packers too, and then Brewers going into playoff baseball just a couple of days away. Let's recap uh, Monday, uh, Thursday night football, excuse me, Packers, Lions. Lions pretty much dominant the entire way, guys. Uh, Packers couldn't really get things going. Jordan Love struggled, and Lions, I think, might actually be a good team, guys. What are your, what are your thoughts on this, Zach? We can start with you. Yeah, I think the Lions definitely proved they're for real, probably more so in this game than even against Kansas City because when you watch the Chief game over and over again, uh, it was a lot of self-inflicted mistakes they made more than the great plays that Detroit made. So this is a game the Lions just went up and took it from the very beginning. David Montgomery, 121 yards, three touchdowns. They dominated running the football, rushed for 211 yards as a team. And on a night where Jared Goff only had 210 yards – I mean, they were still able to win this game comfortably, and their defense, that front seven especially, led by Aiden Hutchinson, just completely dominated the game. And I I don't think we've ever seen the Lions dominate Green Bay the way that they did on Thursday night. It felt like kind of a changing of the guard game in the NFC North where I think the Lions are not only the clear favorites, I think they're going to run away with that division because I don't really think the NFC North outside of them is all that good. So that was a major statement, not just for this season, but now the road to the North Division title runs through the Motor Yeah, City. we talked about it a little bit too uh, with Lance coming up in a bit. We talked about, we broke down, interview, uh, interviewed him earlier today actually, so I already talked about it with him, the game. Uh, Jordan Love played really bad in the first half. He had a lot of momentum in the second half, though. Uh, Quay, uh, Quay Walker, the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, just absolutely killed the Packers rally, though. Uh, he jumped over, uh, leaped across the line in an attempt to block a kick. Like I said, got a unsportsmanlike penalty called on that, and that just absolutely killed the Packers' momentum going forward. And, uh, yeah, Lions able to outscore and uh, end up winning the game. Justin, any uh, last-minute thoughts on this game? Also with the Lions, they're they're pretty good on the line of scrimmage, as uh, we just mentioned, with the defensive line and the offensive line. They can run the ball right down the opposing team's throats, especially the Packers running defense. And this has been the third straight time that the Lions have beaten the Packers, uh, not just at Lambeau, but, uh, but for this rivalry. Since last year, the Lions, if we remember, swept the Green Bay Packers, and this year they beat them at Lambeau Field for the second consecutive time. So a three-game winning streak versus the Packers for the Lions. Yeah, a uh, little bit of a running back controversy going on in Detroit. Jameer Gibbs promised more snaps going into this game. Uh, eight snaps, four receptions only for uh, in Thursday night. Continues to be underutilized. That's a lot due to Mon- David Montgomery playing absolutely amazing, though. I mean, 32 carries for 121 yards and three touchdowns Thursday night. He became the first Lion to rush for three touchdowns at Green Bay and the first Detroit player at the top 100-yard rushing with three TDs since James Stewart back in 2000. So, uh, yeah, Jameer Gibbs, not unhappy, but he can't be taking away David Montgomery snaps uh, when he's, you know, when David's playing as good as he is. Let's move on, guys. Uh, Let's do our preview going into week four like we always do. Closest game, most intriguing storyline, upset of the week, shootout, and snoozer. 
Uh, we did our favorites on Monday already. We'll skip that for now. It'll be Thursdays going forward. But as always, let's start with the closest game of the week. And Zach, we'll start with you. Who was your closest game uh, going in the week for NFL? Uh, closest game of the week, Ravens versus Browns. You know, Deshaun Watson, there's a question whether he's going to play. It sounds like he will. But these are two gritty, tough defenses. The Browns, number one defense in the NFL by a pretty substantial margin right now. And you look at the Ravens, they kind of gave one away against the Colts last week. I expect a more bounce-back performance out of them, even without Odell Beckham not going to be able to play in this game. But I think that running game will get something figured out. I think that has got 17, 14, 2017 written all over it. So I'm going to go to the uh, the the guts and glue of the NF, the AFC North, and I'm going to go Ravens-Browns as the closest game. My, I'm going to go Texas Steelers for my closest game. Texas are, Texans are trending in the right direction for the first time, it seems like, in forever. CJ Stroud played pretty well last weekend, obviously was able to go in the Jacksonville. Uh, well, yeah, go in the Jacksonville and came out with an upset victory against a team in the Jaguars that's definitely supposed to get probably 13 wins a lot of people were predicting going into the season. So Steelers' uh, offense is terrible. Uh, Texans' Off, uh, defense isn't that good either so it's just going to be a really close game and uh yeah i think that both sides of the ball are just going to kind of struggle it's it can also be definitely a snoozer of a game too uh i do want to see cj stroud play though because i think like i said he is playing really really well and i'm excited to see how he continues to progress going forward two two really young quarterbacks obviously in that in kenny pickett and cj stroud pickett's going to want to come out really prove himself against the rookie and uh, that he's uh, that he can play in the game. And yeah, Justin, how about you? Who is your uh, uh, closest game of the week? My closest game of the week is going to be the Falcons and the Jaguars. Look for about a mid-20s game, maybe 24-20, 24-21 on a late field goal. Jacksonville and Atlanta. Atlanta trying to prove themselves as a 3-1 team, that they're better than just starting off 2-0 and and losing last week to the Lions. The Jaguars, this is a must-win for them at 1-2, and and they, they fall to 1-3. and They could still make it up in that division, but I think this is going to be a very close game. It'll be the first game at 9-30 in London. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, most intriguing storyline. Uh, Zach, how about you? What's up? your most intriguing storyline this weekend? Yeah, most intriguing storyline's got to be the Dolphins-Bills game because if Miami wins, they're 4-0, drop Buffalo to 2-2, two and two, and they'd have the head-to-head tiebreaker. So that's essentially a three-game lead. And they really got a favorable break because remember last year they played Buffalo in the snow in December. Well, they're getting them at the end of September, I guess the first day of October in this case, when the weather's still pretty warm. So that's going to play to the Dolphins' favor as well. I think this is a game where we're going to find out if the Buffalo Bills are truly a contender in the AFC after losing the Jets early in the year. The last two games have been kind of snoozers against the Raiders and the Commanders. They, When they win, they typically blow teams out. I don't expect them to blow out the Dolphins. I want to see how much progress Buffalo has made in the running game, their defense, and if you're the Dolphins, you have a chance to win three road games out of your first four. They've already passed the tests at the Chargers and uh, earlier in the season at New England, so can they do it in Buffalo? And that's two division wins already this early in the season. Big chance for the Dolphins to make a huge statement in the AFC, and if the Bills win, then... Buffalo establishes themselves as one of the favorites in the conference as well. I'm going to go piggyback off what you just said, Justin, for my uh, most intriguing storyline. I'm going to go with the uh, Falcons-Jaguars game in London. Kind of for a different reason, though. Uh, I want to see how Kyle Pitts plays. A little bit of little bit random, I know. Really only plays well in London, though. Uh, this, this year alone, he's only 
averages uh, not, uh, f- f- through three games, excuse me, nine receptions, 100 yards. The Puka Nakua uh, did more than that in just one game. Uh, that's just for reference. Uh, Falcons used a fourth overall pick on him and have limited production. Like I said, he really only plays in uh, he really only plays well in London. His, his best game by far was October 21st, 2021. Uh, nine receptions, 119 yards, one touchdown. Doesn't play well on American soil. And now he does return to London on uh, Sunday morning. So I, I want to see if Kyle Pitts, uh, the tight end for the Falcons, uh, gets some more utilization and has a good game like he always does. The seem, seem like he always does in London. Justin, how about you? Uh, what's your most intriguing storyline? Well, Jared, I'm actually going to go with the same game that you went for the closest game to piggyback off of what you said now. The Steelers and Texans are my intriguing storyline of the week. It's going to be interesting to see how C.J. Stroud plays against the Steelers. And the, and the Steelers, 2-1 and one team, Not I'm not too impressed with the Steelers, but the Texans blowing out Jacksonville last week in Jacksonville but Mike Tomlin has a pretty good winning percentage against rookie quarterbacks. So C.J. Stroud, I think he's going to have a challenge, but I think this is going to be a very intriguing game because let's see how C.J. Stroud and the Texans and D'Amico Ryans make already making an impression at the helm with the Houston Texans as their head coach. Now the Steelers coming in this week, so this is, this is an intriguing game for me. Okay, let's move on. Zach, he's on upset alert for you this week. Yeah, we've talked about it already a couple times, but I'm going with the Texans to knock off the Steelers. I don't think the Steelers' offense is all that great. Kenny Pickett, four touchdowns, three interceptions. Really have struggled the first three games of the season. They barely got by against the Raiders last week, and they had a 23-7 lead, and if not for a terrible decision by Josh McDaniels to kick a field goal to turn a one-possession game into a one-possession game, it's very possible that they might have turned around and lost that game. The Texans have the momentum coming off that big win last week against the Jags. But I was impressed with the Texans' defense, what they did against Trevor Lawrence, getting all sorts of pressure on him, forcing him into repeated bad throws. And I think they're going to do the same with Kenny Pickett. I don't trust the Steelers' running game. I do trust C.J. Stroud. I'm taking the Texans to knock off the Steelers. My upset of the week is Patriots over the Cowboys. Don't know how much of an upset this is. Patriots are a lot better than they than they seem on paper. I know they played bad last week against the Jets. They were barely able to squeak out a 15 to 10 victory against them. But their only other two losses were against the Eagles and Dolphins, probably the two best teams in uh, in the league. I mean, the best team in the NFC, arguably, and then the best team in the AFC, arguably, in the Dolphins. So the Patriots are definitely a lot better than the Cowboys. It seems like they're on their downfall, like the downfall that like they always seem to do midway through the season. Uh, yeah, so this is definitely my. I'm, I like I said, I don't know how much of an upset this is, but I'm definitely uh, looking at the Patriots to ha- come away and uh, have a chance against Dallas. Dallas leads the NFL with 12 drives of 10 plays or more, and they have the most red zone trips at 15. Uh, the Cowboys are third in the league for third down conversions at 51.1 percent, but also have the worst red zone efficiency. So they get to the red zone a lot, but they really can't get the job done once they get to the red zone. Patriots are definitely going to capitalize on this, and Bill Belichick is going to come out ready to, ready to have his uh, guys ready to play against a Cowboy team. That, Like I said, only one week, but I do think they're on the decline. Uh, and uh, Dak Prescott seems to be in his uh, his uh, pre-se- uh, re- uh, midseason form, as he always seems to get to. Justin, what is a upset alert for you in week four? 
I got the Patriots as well. This is the Cowboys offensive line is banged up. They're starting to kind of, you know, fall apart after the 2-0 start against the Giants and the Jets. But the Patriots at 1-2, this is a team that can get to the quarterback, especially if Dallas has a banged-up offensive line. The secondary obviously is banged up, and the loss of Trayvon Diggs for the year is a major loss. It's a vital loss for the Cowboys. I think the Patriots go into Dallas, and they're going to win this game. I can see the Cowboys dropping to 2-2, two and two, and the Patriots being that 1-2 and two team that's very, you know, it's very feisty, that they're a very feisty team. They were close. They almost beat the Eagles. They almost were close, gave the Dolphins a close game. Beating the Jets by five points wasn't the best game, but I think that they're – that they will beat the Cowboys this week in Dallas. That's my upset of the week. Yeah, Mac Jones playing a lot better than he was last year. Not, I mean, not a tremendous jump, but still way better than he was last year, in my opinion. 748 yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions over uh, his first three games. Their running game, though, for the Patriots is finally starting to get going. Uh, Ramondre and Zeke, uh, Zeke Elliott, looking looking like dangerous running backs again uh zeke obviously kind of been on the downcline the first three weeks but last week against the jets he really uh put in the step and did a really good job and like i said ramondre is also playing really really well like he did last year as well uh an interesting storyline of this game though um will greer signed as an emergency quarterback for the pats going into week four uh will greer uh wbu quarterback was on the uh, cowboys in the preseason though might know some of their playbook might help Bill Belichick get an advantage. Bill Belichick loves those advantages like that. He loves to squeak out any information he can about his opponents. I don't know. Maybe maybe Will Greer knows some things about the Cowboys, uh, their, their play calling, and uh, maybe they'll be able to help him get a, a, a leg up on the Pats. Who knows? We'll, we'll see on Sunday when it all breaks down. Let's move on to the shootout of the week. Zach, what's your shootout of the week? Uh, shootout of the week. I'm going back to Buffalo. It's going to be the Dolphins and the Bills. I just don't see how this isn't a high-scoring game. We saw last year when they played in the snow, it was a uh, 32-29 final score. And I think right now the Dolphins' offense, I would be surprised if anybody keeps them under 24 points at minimum right now. And I think Josh Allen and company, this is kind of the stage that they've been waiting for a couple weeks since that Monday night debacle to kind of unleash and open up the offense again. So I think you're going to see a lot of points in this game. I think this is going to be the game of the day. Yeah, that's my shoot of the week, too. Uh, it really can't be. Tua is leading the league just like he was last year in QBR. Over 1,000 yards, a lot of that was from last week, of course. But eight, t- eight TDs, only two interceptions. Um, you know, Bills obviously have an explosive offense right now. Tyreek Hill's amazing. Amazing. Waddle's amazing. Uh, you know, yeah. So uh, Josh Allen playing obviously really good too. 728 yards, five touchdowns, four interceptions. Got to keep the interceptions down. Uh, but overall, this is going to be a shootout. And um, the Dolphins aren't going to score 70 again, but... I think the total score might actually go over 70. It's very easily well good. Uh, Justin, how about you? Is this your shoot of the week too? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. This is the game of the week, as you guys were alluding to. This is 3-0 and Dolphins last week putting up 70 points. This is easily the number one offense right now in the NFL against the number two ranked defense in the NFL in Buffalo. Buffalo has the eighth-ranked offense. Miami, not so great on defense. They're ranked 23rd. But this get, but this is going to be the game of the week. This is going to be the shootout of shootouts. This will probably be in the 30s because I can see both teams putting up so many points here. 
maybe even late twenties, early thirties. I mean, this is this this should yeah. be the Sunday night game. I'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> it should be much, the, it should be the Sunday night game. It it should have, yeah. I mean, it's much better weather this time around too. I believe next week. And I think next week is when they can start flexing games. I yeah, I would seven. start flexing them now. Is it week seven or is it next week? I, I don't. I actually don't know. But I think it's week five is when it starts okay. now. Oh wow, jeez! It seems like it's every single year. It's going. It's getting earlier and earlier. They're allowed to <laughs> flex games. Hey. Uh, other end of the spectrum, snoozer of the week. Uh, Zach, what's a boring game for you this week coming up? Can it be? Can it be anything other than Broncos yeah. Bears? Like, really? <laughs> yeah. These might be the two worst teams in football right now. Like, the Bears offense is terrible, but the Broncos defense is equally terrible. So something's going to have to give there, and it's probably going to be a low-scoring snoozer of a game. Both these teams are thinking about maybe looking at Caleb Williams as their next quarterback moving forward. There's there's nothing that excites me about this game whatsoever. If it were the only game on, I probably still wouldn't watch it. This should be, you know, speaking of flexing, this game should be flexed to like 3 a.m. so that nobody has to see this football game in any way. It's got to be Broncos. Yeah, and let's not forget, um, you know, Hackett. Uh, Sean Payton criticized Hackett's performance last season. Uh, obviously not there anymore for the Broncos, but still pretty much criticized the team, and now it's kind of a revenge game. Uh, going into this weekend. Neither team really deserves to win this game. It actually, in a weird way, it could be a shootout. Not really a good shootout, not for the right reasons. But, I mean, you look at last week, Bears, uh, 41 points, Chiefs put up on them. And then we all know the Dolphins put up 70 on the Broncos last week, too. So, like I said, for the wrong reasons, it actually might end up being a shootout. Uh, Russell Wilson is not playing good, but still has just under 800 yards for the season. Justin Fields is terrible. Uh, 34, 34th worst QBR in the NFL. Uh, he's worse QBR than there are even teams in the NFL. So that's pretty disastrous. That's absolutely terrible uh, if you're a Bears fan. And this was supposed to be a year he was going to have a step up and definitely, definitely not doing that. Justin, are we all in agreement again on the snoozer of the week? Do you also have Broncos, Ooh. Bears? Yeah, I have Broncos, Bears. What else do you need to say? But also the Monday night game as well is looks like looks to be a snoozer. Giants and Seahawks. Uh, Seattle, that, that'll be a close game. Or maybe even, I wouldn't go upset, but I think it's going to be a close game. And it's going to be, it's going to be like the Steelers and Raiders last Sunday night. Just a very 23-16, 21-17. Seattle coming out from the West Coast, obviously, and the Giants have just not been impressive. So I'll go Seahawks-Giants, and I will go, obviously, I mean, Broncos-Bears. I mean, that, that should, that's the tank bowl right there. Should be for the first four weeks of the season. That's the tank bowl. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to – yeah. Some good games this week, obviously, but then there's also some pretty pretty bad games too. Before moving on the writer's block, uh, you guys can chime in as much as you want or as much as little uh, as much literal as you want. But uh, Ryder Cup today, first day. I just want to touch on this real fast. Terrible start for Team USA. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it more on Tuesday's show once it's all said and done. Uh, first time since 2006 that the European team has had a lead after the first session uh, in that year or in that playing of the Ryder Cup. Europe won 18 and a half to nine and a half. Um, so 
not looking good for history for the American team. Um, U.S. failed to hold a lead in any of the matches today. Again, the first day of the Ryder Cup. Swept a foursome, uh, swept the first four foursomes to go up four to nothing in the Friday morning. Uh, yeah, very bad showing for Americans. Uh, so this is uh, only the fourth time the European team has gone unbeaten in a session overall. This is supposed to be the year Americans are finally going to win on European soil, and history does not look like that's going to be the case. All right, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's it's the. It's a, uh, it's a, you know, unfortunate. Writer's block. Zach, who's your writer's block of the week? So my writer's block of the week is going to be conti- the continuing coverage of Colorado football. Like right now, they're about to play USC this week, as we talked about. Probably not. It, it might be competitive, and I think they match up better with USC than they did with Oregon, but I don't expect Colorado to win. I'm interested to see what happens after this game, if the expected outcome goes as planned. Does the coverage of Colorado start to slow down a little bit, or are we going to keep doing full speed ahead? Well, this team's likely going to go six and six because it's one thing to have the hype when you're winning. The hype should typically die down once you start losing a couple of games. And I think we're starting to figure out that this is a good team, but not necessarily a really good team right now. So I want to see how the coverage of Colorado continues if they lose this game, like most expect that they will. Justin, how about you? We'll move on to you next. What's your uh, writer's block of the week? My writer's block of the week is all the continuing coverage of the relationships and dating. You know, keep that stuff in your personal, keep that stuff in the personal lives. The writers don't need to get involved. The New York Post, CBS Sports, all on and on and on and on. This is not TMZ. This is not Access Hollywood. This is sports. All that I keep seeing, oh, Jake Ferguson is dating a TikTok star. Uh, do we really care? Uh, yeah, I don't think most of the people care. Just play the game already and stop with, you know, the sideshow of dating and Taylor mm-hmm. Swift and Travis Kelsey and this and that and this and that. Good old New York Post, good old TMZ, all at it again. My uh, my writer's block of the week, um, ESPN actually came out with, with an article today. Uh, they're increasing the ban for players that bet on their own teams in the NFL. I mean, for me, it doesn't really matter. I mean, just don't be don't be stupid. Don't bet on especially a game you're in, but let alone the NFL, you know, regardless alone. So it doesn't really matter what the suspension is. It just don't do it. It's not needed. There's many other sports you can bet on, especially when the NFL season is. I mean. At the time, you have uh, basketball, hockey going on. You even got playoff uh, baseball for a, a large part, part of it, too. But, yeah, I mean, according to the new rules, uh, first suspension uh, would be a two-game suspension, six-game suspension for the second violation, and at least one year for the third. Like I said, doesn't really matter what the details are. Just don't do it once. Uh, and just there's many other games you can bet on uh, when the NFL is going on. Okay, guys, we're going to move on to Lance Allen. Like I said, great interview with him. Break down the Damian Lillard trade. Uh, what are the fans thinking in Milwaukee about it? How excited are they? Uh, does this, you know, is the expectation championship or bust for them going forward? Packers get into the, get into the Thursday night game with them uh, with him as well. Uh, like we just mentioned earlier, bad loss to the Packer or bad loss to the Lions Thursday night. And just their season that they've had in general. And then we also end with some Brewers talk. 
heading into October. So yeah, without further ado, let's head on over to Milwaukee and talk to Lance. Okay, we now head to Milwaukee and welcome on Lance Allen, uh, sports reporter for TMJ4 in Milwaukee. Lance, we had to have you on. Uh, big news coming out in the NBA yesterday. Uh, Damian Lillard being traded to the Bucks. Bucks currently now, only after one day, only less than 24 hours, became the betting favorite to win the NBA title next year. Plus 360, the next highest or next biggest, or whatever you want to call it, Boston Celtics behind them at plus 500. Um, I'm going to just start really general, and then we're going to get kind of more specific from there. Give me the initial reaction from the fan base. How excited is the fan base? And uh, just, yeah, just just take me through just what the fans are saying about this uh, this deal here. I think the first thing, Jared, is you know, first it was initial shock, even though we had heard some rumor that the Bucks were kind of kicking the tires on this thing and that they were at least in it. And I, my, one of my, uh, you know, I've been at this for 32 years, so forgive me, I sound like a dinosaur, but one of the things I usually say, the trades you hear about 85% of the time don't actually happen. You know, it's the ones that you don't hear about that usually get over the goal line, so to speak. And so I had heard some rumblings about this in the days leading up, but you still kind of thought, okay, the, the prevailing thought is the Raptors are, you know, near the top or the, or Miami is near the top and, you know, I, I think that was the shock was was the Bucks basically getting it done, getting it over the goal line, so to speak. And and I think the fan base, for the most part, uh, I've seen nine, you know, unofficial count, maybe ninety three percent positive. There are a few people who maybe just don't like Damian Lillard. Maybe they like Drew Holiday. Uh, maybe they felt like you know other things or whatever. But I think overall, it's overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I mean, so. How I mean, how do you think Damian is going to mesh well with Giannis? Though I mean, people are saying it's one of the best front court back court duos in NBA history. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? It, it seems like I mean, obviously, everybody in the NBA has an ego. If you if you say they don't have an ego, you're lying. Um, so everybody, what what as nice as Giannis is, is you know what as as all the reports of Damian Lillard being a, a good guy, whatever. Everybody's got an ego to a degree. But it seems like this pairing could work as well as any pairing out there. Um, in years past, when people would bring up, you know, getting, you know, a, a big, do, you know, like, okay, we, the Bucks always kind of claimed they had a big three, um, you know, with Middleton and Drew and, and you know, certain incarnations of that, whatever. Um, you know, when they talked about a big duo, so you like Giannis and James Harden or Giannis and Durant, I'm like, no, there's not enough basketballs to go around. There's no way that would work. This seems like it will work without actually seeing it on the court. Um, and I think it's going to be dynamic offensively. One of the things that I'm sure we'll get into is Terry Stotts is now on the Bucks coaching staff. He was Damian Lillard's head coach in Portland when they were cooking offensively. They looked great out there, and, and they were a threat in the West. And Damian Lillard loved playing for him. Terry Stotts is one of the most brilliant offensive minds in the NBA and I will. I, I'm very excited. I'm not trying to wave the pom poms. I think Damian Lillard, at obviously 33 years old, has some defensive limitations, and that's one of the drawbacks of this thing. But on the front side, uh, some of the offensive schemes that Terry Stotts and Damian Lillard can can cook up, I think, are going to be very exciting to watch. So this might might sound like a dumb question, but I mean, 
what was really the driving force behind this trade? I mean, obviously getting Damian Lillard, you don't really need to have a reason behind that. But just prior to this trade over the offseason, Giannis was debating re-signing with the Bucks. obviously pretty unhappy with how the last couple of years went. Um, was this more to keep him around, Giannis, or was this really more as a, of a win-now mentality uh, for the Bucks? I think it's not an or question, Jared. I honestly think it's a both question. I think it's um, keeping Giannis and keeping Giannis healthy, and it's a win now. If you're maxed out on the salary cap, and I haven't crunched the numbers, I'm not a capologist, I'm not smart enough, I've got a journalism degree, even though I do have a BS degree, go figure. So it, I am one of those people. A lot of journalism majors have BA degrees that are more artsy-fartsy. I've got the BS degree because I like math and I liked you know science and things like that. But I, you know, they are either right up against the cap for years to come, or they may have to pay the luxury tax. Obviously, the numbers have to be crunched um, at some point. But you're all in. You're basically, if you're playing poker, you got all your chips in the middle of the table, and so you might as well do it and keep Giannis happy and try, you know, a couple of swings at this while you still have Giannis under contract for the next couple of years and Damian Lillard what for the next three years. So um, yeah, they, they're all in. And I also think. You know, you heard it, it got and there was nothing substantiated. So this is kind of more in the rumor area. So forgive me for this. But you kind of heard like Drew Holiday questioning, you know, like how long, much longer he wanted to play, you know, maybe almost like, you know, veiled little retirement hints. And then just maybe, you know, whatever here, I, I don't I never got the sense he was unhappy here, but just certain things of that. Um, and then Giannis saying that he was his the, the best teammate he ever had. Um, so maybe that was a little bit surprising, but I, I think sometimes you got to swing big and you sometimes you got to give up something to get something. And I think uh, you know, most people feel like the Bucks won this. Well, trade. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Drew Holiday, even earlier this week, he was saying that he wanted to retire a buck. He wanted to be a buck for life. And I know the fan base in Milwaukee also loves Drew Holiday. So, I mean, uh, just take me through that kind of whole dynamic. I mean, Drew Holiday's gone now off to the Blazers and part of this deal. And are the fans kind of upset to see him? Because I know the fans really liked him, too. Yeah, he he and his wife, Lauren, did a lot of things in the community, really well liked, very good guy. And you're right. I mean, that was probably, you know, a few people are disappointed in the fact that they just genuinely liked him. And then the other factor to this is I don't think he ever suits up for the Blazers. It just seems like the Blazers like their young players. Uh, they want to move forward with that, you know, whether you want to call it a rebuild, reload, whatever you want to call it. And we could see Drew Holiday. I mean, if you're talking odds on betting favorites, we could see him in a Celtics uniform, a Heat uniform. I mean, he could definitely be a thorn in the Bucks side or be playing against them uh, from some of the things you you read and hear and things like that. So who knows where he goes? So you just said Drew Holiday probably won't even play for the Blazers. And we actually said it. Uh, when we did our initial reaction on this podcast, too, we, we were kind of saying the same thing. He's either going to sit out or they're, they're just going to trade him for more picks, like you were saying, Lance. Let's go back, though, in history. Earlier in the summer, uh, one of the biggest things with the Trailblazers was the reason they didn't make a deal with the Heat, uh, for for example, was the Heat couldn't offer them much. And now you go you know, three, four months in advance, and the Trailblazers, you would argue, definitely made kind of a – they definitely settled. I mean, they don't, they don't, they really didn't get much out of this. Like we just talked about Jude Holiday, probably won't even play for the, uh, for the Trailblazers. And they don't have even a first round pick until 2029. But like I said, you look, you look back in the beginning of the summer, they wouldn't even deal with the Heat where Lillard really wanted to go because the Heat couldn't even give them anything. They couldn't give them enough for him. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying like this is kind of a, a little bit of a different 
trade in the sense that usually you acquiesce to the superstar. Like you basically say, well, you want to go to Miami? Fine. We'll work something out. Maybe we'll get a little bit less in return, but you gave us something, you know, we'll, we'll make it work. Whereas this was more like, okay, kind of to your point, Jared, maybe Portland didn't necessarily win the trade, but they got more out of the box than what they, and the, and the three team trade than what they would have gotten out of Miami. And so they basically were like, well, sorry, Damien, you know, you're going somewhere where we feel like we can get the best deal and that's the way it is. So, um, yeah, it, it, that, that to me was kind of interesting. And then obviously everyone saw the Jimmy Butler, uh, comments one, he's salty because they didn't win the trade. He wanted another weapon to get him over the hump and two, uh, you know, come on, let's face facts. Uh, I like to say in NASCAR, if you're not cheating, you're not either trying or you're not getting caught. Cheating is when you get caught. So tampering in the NBA, we all know it happens everywhere, every team, players talk. Let's not be naive to this. Would you say the Bucs are the destination right now, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the NBA? They also won a couple years removed, I believe two years removed from winning an NBA championship. Now Damian Lillard coming to Milwaukee is a big splash. Would you say the Bucs are – kind of on not just on the map but are they the destination right now in the league it's, it's pretty crazy to say that justin but it's almost kind of true i mean i think winning breeds success and people wanting to be in a certain place i get all the way back just because i'm older and i have the perspective of you know years ago in the nfl they would threaten to banish to green bay it was like the siberia of the nfl to play for the packers because they were so bad and I think once they got better with Brett Favre and once Reggie White went there in free agency 30 years ago, I know I'm talking ancient history, it totally changed the culture of the Packers. Same thing with the Bucs. Like, nobody wanted to be traded to the Bucs. I remember Gary Payton being here for three months and couldn't literally had one foot out of the city the whole time, <laughs> wanted to get out of here. Same thing uh, with J.J. Redick when he was traded here one time, just literally was here for a cup of coffee and couldn't wait to get out. Now it seems like, you know, Brooke Lopez, obviously, all things being equal, wanted to be here. Bobby Portis wanted to be here. Chris Middleton loves it here. And there are a number of players that, you know, yeah, it gets cold here in the winter. It's not Miami Beach. It's not, you know, nightclub central. But I think winning breeds that whole thing and a good culture in an organization breeds people wanting to be here. So good point. Yeah, it's very similar weather to, to Portland. I can only imagine maybe a little bit colder, but yeah, I can, I can only imagine very similar to Portland. Um, let's go. I mean, I want to talk about this upcoming year then, uh, particularly going into the playoffs. I mean, it's no one would argue that Milwaukee is at least a lock to make the playoffs right now. There's, I, I there's no scenario. I see Milwaukee not even making the playoffs, but that being said, is there a trepidation by the fans this year going into the playoffs uh, given that they were the fifth, only the fifth team in history last year to lose to an eight seed, or yeah, lose to an eight seed. Um, what is the thoughts of the fans? I mean, they have more expectations now than ever. Um, so just after last year's kind of uh, bad showing in the playoffs, uh, is there just kind of fear going into this year? You know, we had a really bad showing in the playoffs last year. And now we have more weight and uh, more pressure than ever to perform. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, I, I would agree with that, Jared, in the sense that, uh, you know, we've seen the Bucks in 2021 where they went all the way and it was great and it was glorious and they were hitting threes and they were doing whatever. But they have had, you know, whether it was in the bubble 
20 years ago, or 2020, I should say, not 20 years ago. It seems like 20 years ago, but last year and things like that, that, yeah, I, I think that, and with a, with a rookie head coach, with Adrian Griffin, that's why you bring in Terry Stotts, former Bucks head coach. You bring in Joe Prunty, a former Bucks coach. You've got some experience in veterans on that, you know, on that staff. But with Adrian Griffin as a rookie coach, he's going to make some mistakes. No offense to Adrian Griffin, he's going to make some mistakes. And I also think defensively, it's still a work in progress. I think they have a bigger role for Marjan Beauchamp, uh, first round pick from last year. I think they want him. He was in the weight room, and we'll see if he put strength and size on uh, to guard guys on the perimeter because they're going to need some help. Damian Lillard, at his age, is not going to guard everybody on the perimeter. Um, so yeah, I, I think and and you know, Brooke Lopez is not young. Uh, by any means in NBA terms, mid 30. So they're going to need some help. All right, let's uh, move on to the Brewers, uh, Lance. Uh, I do want to talk about the Brewers a little bit. Obviously headed to October, headed to the playoffs. Uh, had an amazing year so far. Um, as it stands right now, if the season did end, I know it's a little bit up in the air still, uh, uh, you know, their conference, but they would play, I think, the Marlins right now in the first round of the playoffs. What are we thinking about the Brewers just in general going into October, going into the postseason? You know, why is this year going to be different? Why are they going to make a deep run? You know, in terms of like the fans' perspective, why are they going to make a, a run here? Well, I, I would say, Jared, if they make a deep run, it's because of their pitching. Yeah. You know, you, you if you throw Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta out there as your top three, you, you've, you're giving yourself a chance. You've got a great sh- chance to go deep into the postseason. Now, the Achilles heel, and, and, uh, and I'll stay positive for a moment. I also think that that clubhouse, not that everybody has to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and be, you know, all buddies and stuff like that, but I do think that the clubhouse is very close, that once again, Craig Council – uh, fosters a very good winning culture and a very good, uh, you know, culture with that team. Uh, but, and, and is very friendly, more of a player's manager, but on the, on the opposite side, they need to hit and their offense has come and gone in waves, so to speak. And so that would be the Achilles heel in the postseason is if they can't hit and go into some of those games where they can only get like four hits, five hits max or whatever, then they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, currently ninety to sixty, uh, ninety wins, sixty nine losses, eighty run different, eighty plus run differential, pretty good. You mentioned the pitching though. I mean, the starting pitching very good for the Brewers. The bullpen though, I want you to elaborate more on that. We always say, and I always ask this when we interview people uh, about baseball specifically, going into October, going into the playoffs. In order to make it far in the playoffs, you have to have a deep bullpen. And how does that match up for the Brewers? How is the Brewers' uh, bullpen right now? Well, it'd be even better if they didn't make the ill-fated uh, Josh Hader trade mm-hmm. last year. But then again, they traded some of the pieces and parts from the Josh Hader trade into William Contreras, who's been quietly one of the best players for the Brewers this year. They, he's been phenomenal. I think he's been beyond what they thought he was going to be behind the plate for, especially for a young player. So you know, sometimes you got to once again give up something to get something. So they'd be even better with Hader. But Devin Williams has been very good. Very few blips on the back end. Uh, you know, closing out games and they just kind of mix and match, whether it's, you know, Hobie Milner or Joel Piumps or whomever, whomever they run out there, um, Bryce Wilson, things like that. Whoever they run out there has gotten the job done this year, uh, for the most part, with the exception of Andrew Chafin is one guy they traded for that has not you know performed as well as what they thought. Uh, but overall, they've mixed and matched with a lot of their relievers and it's been pretty impressive to watch. So um, I, I think they, you know, 
relievers sometimes can come and go. Sometimes you get a small sample size with those guys. Uh, but overall, I think they've done a nice job. Yeah, uh, th- th- yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's been a, an amazing season so far for the Brewers. Who would, um, who do you think the Brewers would rather play in the first round? If they could, I mean, if they if they could, who do you think they match up really well in the NL uh, in the first, like, you know, first round wild card and maybe even the second round? Who, who do they match up well against, in your opinion? Well, as far as the National League goes, I mean, it's always scary to play like a rival, like sure. the Cubs. I mean, even though the Cubs aren't trending in a positive direction, I think that's always like a scary matchup because you you, you know full well that the, the Cubs would like nothing more than to ruin, you know, a division foe's season, you know, so to speak, at the worst possible time. Um, I honestly think the way the Brewers have played and played down the stretch, they have the best record in baseball, uh, you know, over the la- over the final 36, 37 games. Uh, ever since they got swept by the Dodgers, they had a uh, team meeting, and basically things have turned around since then, since August 18th. I honestly think that they match up well against anybody not named the Atlanta Braves. Um, you know, I think they can even beat the Dodgers because, yes, the Dodgers have great talent. They have a huge payroll, whatever, but they're beatable. I, I honestly think that ever that was kind of the Brewers' moment in this season. If you look back at certain moments on the journey, their moment was, hey, we got swept by the Dodgers, and they're a great team, but this can't happen. If we have visions of going to where we want to go, that can't happen. And sometimes revenge is a powerful motivator. So I think, you know, yes, the Dodgers are a tall hill to climb, but I think they can beat them. I think they can beat the Marlins. They can beat the Cubs. They can, you know, There's a lot of teams, Phillies, this, that, whatever. Um, but the one team that it would be magical, and it would be hard to beat, but – you know, hey, anybody's beatable in the postseason, but the one team that would be hard to beat is just the Atlanta Braves, just because they have so many things going for them. That's the one team in the National League that I really fear. Yeah, I mean, any and you mentioned the Atlanta. Anyone would have a hard time against Atlanta. Um, let's talk about uh, William Contreras. Do you think he's one of the most underrated offensive players in the league, like just hitters in general? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think they felt like he was maybe a year or two away from being what he is now. Um, they, you know, like pitch framing, you know, some of the stuff that is more overlooked defense and then just his hitting, like his hitting, I think has been more, even though he's known as an offensive catcher and known to have a really good bat. I think his hitting has been beyond and he's delivered some huge clutch hits and some big plays and some, you know, great moments. I think that he has been beyond what the Brewers thought he would be at this point. So, yeah, the, the hater trade will go down as one of the worst trades in Brewers history. But, um, you know, for those that like to do the the trade family tree, so to speak, I think that what they flipped for some of the pieces and parts that they got in the hater trade to get William Contreras, uh, they they definitely recovered in that aspect. Yeah. Uh, at least to a degree. These league and hits, too, 153. Brewers have made the playoffs the four years, uh, yeah, four years. So prior to that, though, they missed the playoffs six years in a row. Um, is there kind of like a win now mentality? Because we know we all know sports go kind of in waves, right? They go up and down. You have streaks where you do have a you know four or five years where you do really well, and then eventually we're going to drip down again, like every team does in any sport. So is there kind of a win now mentality for for the Brewers? Absolutely. Yeah. This is the uh, fifth time they made the playoffs in the last six years. I think their best opportunity was 2018 when they lost in game seven uh, at American family field against the Dodgers and the NLCS. That was, they they were so close, didn't do it. And yeah, you've got 
you know, they'll have to make some hard decisions on Corbin Burns. You know, he'll have one more year left on his contract. So, you know, do you deal him in the offseason? Brandon Woodruff, you know, it, it's kind of in the same boat. They have these pitchers now. Um, and, you know, they can't – the Brewers are not a team that can spend money like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Mets and some of these other teams. So it, it is kind of a win-now mentality. They've had a few swings at it, um, and, and it's been probably the best – I won't even say probably it's been the best run of Brewers baseball. I mean, I, I was, you know, as a kid growing up in this state, they made the world series in 82 and the next time they made the playoffs was 2008. So do that math. Um, and then, and so, you know, making the playoffs five out of the last six years is the best run in Brewers history. There were years where they, they didn't have a prayer of it. Um, so one of these years you would like them to cover, to, to, to go to a world series. And I'll just leave, I'll just end on this note, guys. I've covered Super Bowls, I've covered Rose Bowls, I've covered Final Fours and NCAA Championship games, I've covered Ryder Cups, I've covered literally everything in sports with the exception of the World Series. So before I hang them up, guys, I would love to cover a World Series. That's the last thing on my resume. So yes, I would I would like it as much as anybody else. Made it made it once in history, team history in 1982. Never won the World Series though, uh, Brewers um that being that being said it is is that really how is that how the fan base looks at this season i mean a successful season is nothing else but at least making the world series yeah it's 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 kind of divided like i think some people um this is unexpected um you know kind of like uh you know with the nba finals with the bucks you know and i forgot to mention that you know super bowls nba finals rose bowls all that stuff like you know it was you know, sometimes some Wisconsin, not all, some Wisconsin fans have the old, you know, oh, we can only get so far and that's it, you know. And and I think some fans are like, well, this team is kind of overachieved and, you know, it would be nice uh, to get in there and do some damage whatever, but we're not expecting them to go to the World Series. And then other people are saying, hey, when is this team ever going to get back to the World Series? And like you mentioned, they made it once, they lost, they actually had a parade for them because this city loves – the Brewers and loves baseball so much that they had actually had a a parade for a losing team in the World Series. So I think this city would go nuts, uh, kind of like what you saw with the NBA Finals, just to have uh, the opportunity to win a World Series. I don't want to ask a speculation question, but I mean, say say they lose in the wild card, you know, the first you know starting Tuesday here, the first uh, you know the first series they have against, like I said, the Marlins. If it ended today. Um, you know, what, what happens in the off season? Do you think they just run it back or, uh, you know, or is there going to be some, some re rebuilding, remodeling in that team? Uh, if they have a pretty bad outing in the playoffs, what, which can happen to anyone. I mean, it can happen to anyone. You see teams all the time that are destined to, you know, world series bound and then they lose in the wild card and matchup. So, you know, what, take me through, what do you think is going to happen if they do have a bad outing, uh, here, uh, come early October? Yeah, if it goes bad, I think that they trade uh, Corbin Burns in the offseason, and that could happen even if it goes well. But who know, who knows? But I think if they if it goes bad, they won't just run it back. Uh, Mark Adonazi was not not that type of owner. Matt Arnold, the new GM who took over for David Stearns, is not that way. Obviously, he brought in you know Carlos Santana, Mark Canna, uh, as well as Andrew Chafin at the trade deadline, and, and made those deals. Then even Josh Donaldson got him in the organization. 
uh, as a waiver claim. Um, and as long as he's in the minors and in the organization, he can be called up and be postseason eligible. And that was a big pickup as well. So uh, Corbin Burns would be one thing to keep your eye on. And the other thing is Craig Council. Like he is, he is not signed for next year. And even though he's here from here, a suburb, Whitefish Bay, very close, uh, just on the north side of Milwaukee, things like that. Um, he doesn't like uh, questions right now about his future. He wants it to be about the team. He'll address his future in the offseason. But right now, um, yeah, if they if they flamed out in the in the wild card round, it, his future would very much be in doubt as far as returning to manage the, the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, Lance, I can't I can't have you on and not talk about the Packers even a little bit. I know we wanted to talk definitely about Damian Lillard and then the Brewers, obviously only a couple days away from their wild card matchup. Packers, uh, you know, we're we're recording this on Friday. This will come out on Saturday. But last night, Pack or Packers lost to the Lions, thirty four twenty. Have a win loss sandwich going on in the season so far. First first week, one against the Bears, lost against the Falcons. Second week, one against the Saints. Third, and then of course, like I said last night, Thursday night football, lost against the Lions. What is? I mean, again, I don't want to ask too general too general of a question, and let me know if I am. But just what is the plan for the Packers? Just going forward they kind of seem in a weird spot ever since Aaron Rodgers left like I don't really know just from an outside perspective like a, a, you know a, a football fan looking in I just I don't really see what their plan is to rebuild going forward after after Rodgers uh, left I might be too much of a realist uh Jared but um I, I thought this was the way the season was going to go up down up down if you look at you know, Brett Favre's first year as a starter, they go nine and seven, uh, you know, literally every game. You didn't know, you know, they could beat a good team and they could lose to a, a marginal team. And then Aaron Rodgers' first year as starter, they went six and ten. So to me, two and two is not shocking at all. And I know that's not a sexy answer. And mm -hmm. I know that a lot of the fan base probably doesn't want to hear that. But I, I didn't. I didn't think this year would go smoothly. I felt like it was going to be a roller coaster. Like there are games where they're going to rely on the defense and the defense has played really well. And there are games like this game against the lions where the lions just kind of shoved it down their throat and were the more physical team and, and beat them, you know? So I, and same thing with Jordan love, he's going to have games where he's good and he's going to have games where he's not so good, like against the lions. And he's going to have games against the saints where they can't get anything going offensively for the first three quarters. And then, in the last 11 minutes of the fourth quarter, he does enough to pull the, you know, the, the numbers didn't look sexy, 22 of 44, 50%, quarterback rating of 66.4, but you get it, you do enough to win. So I think he's got the moxie to win. I just don't think the numbers are going to be super spectacular. And I think this is what you're going to get for all the, you know, and I'm not trying to point fingers at the fans, but for all the fans who said, oh, we're, we're sick of the Rodgers drama. And we're glad he's gone and whatever. And, oh, yeah, we're, we're comfortable with the rebuild. Well, you better be comfortable with the rebuild, even though the Packers don't want to call it a rebuild, because this is what you're going to get. You're going to get a team that's uneven and it's going to be up and down from week to week. Yeah, Packers, I mean, are like the Steelers or like the Cowboys in that regard. You don't really ever rebuild with that team. They Their expectations are always just so high. You never really can have a true rebuild, <laughs> unfortunately, for them. Um yeah, but I also uh, I agree. I mean, Packers again, outside looking in, not as a you know local fan for the Packers, but they definitely scream five hundred team to me. You know, nine eight eight and nine. Uh, so, like you said, I mean, the fact that they're they split, you know, their four games so far, it, I also agree that that pretty much goes in line to what I thought going into the season. I want to ask an interesting question though. I mean, Aaron Rodgers went down fourth play, <laughs> as we all know, as a Jet. 
uh, Monday Night Football uh, four weeks ago. Everyone, you know, talks about the Jets' perspective on it, right? Oh, Jet, they feel so bad for the Jets fans. This was Jets' time. They finally have a quarterback. They're, you know, yada, yada. But you don't really talk about how maybe, like, the you know, Milwaukee or the Green Bay fans, like the Packers fans, feel about Aaron Rodgers going down. So what, I mean, what have the fans kind of been saying about Aaron Rodgers going down? Or, you know, are they upset for him? Or are they still kind of hurt that he left that, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say they don't want to see him get hurt, but are they kind of just like, you, what, like, what, what has been the fans' perspective on just like Aaron Rodgers getting hurt this year and being out the whole year? Yeah, I think, I think more fans are kind of in that, that they were just kind of ready to move on, yeah. so to speak. Not necessarily like you said, the, that he, they were happy that he got hurt, but they were just ready for for a change. So I think that's more the case. That, yeah, I have a few Rodgers fans and a few people that want to see him well. The other thing is the fans probably wanted him to do really well because if he played in 65% or more of the snaps, the Packers would have gotten a first-round pick back in return. Um, then they're going to get a second-round pick next year. But I, my, once again, maybe I'm too much of a realist for shock, you know, shocking talk radio, wacky, wacky, crazy you know, podcast, push-button type stuff. But what I've shared with my friends is think about the haul that they got back for Aaron Rodgers. So you moved up two spots from 15 to 13 in the first round, and that pick is Lucas Van Ness, who so far as a rookie has shown great flashes of uh, pressuring the quarterback potential. Obviously, it's going to be a work in progress. He's young. He's inexperienced, but that looks like a positive. Your second-round pick this year that you got from the Jets is Luke Musgrave, a really good-looking tight end who, once again, yep, it's going to take some time, but he looks like he's an athlete and looks like he's a difference maker. And then the second-round pick next year for four legs. I think that's pretty good value, in my opinion. Maybe that's not the, the best thing to say or the craziest thing to say, like, oh, I'm outraged that they didn't get a first-round pick and all this. I mean, yeah, but the, the my true feelings are you still got great value for what you got back in return for Aaron Rodgers. I don't want to – you know, I know we've already been kind of touching on it a little bit. Um, it's a little bit more of a specific question, though. Um, Jordan Love, just in general, I mean – what are the fans just overall thinking about him? And specifically, like, is their mindset more, we don't really have anyone else, or we are really confident that he's going to improve and, you know, lead this team? Like, what is, like, kind of the mindset? Are they just kind of like, well, that's all we have? Or are they actually, like, all behind him, uh, you know, him improving and leading the Packers to, to where they want to be? I think most people are all behind him. I, I think they think that he is going to be a good quarterback. I'm not convinced that he's going to be a great quarterback like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, but I think he is off to a good start, and he can run the Matt LaFleur system more uh, than Aaron Rodgers did. Aaron Rodgers checked out of a lot of plays and ran you know, what he wanted to run and, and deep shots and things like that. And I think Jordan Love within the system can be a very good, very effective quarterback. Uh, but they have a rookie, Sean Clifford, who showed flashes in the preseason. But, he, you know, he's not as of right now that Jordan Love is your guy. I think most people are, are if they truly admit it, yeah, they're not pleased about the game against the Lions. And they want it to be now because we live in a microwave society. But I still think most people are behind Jordan Love and realize it's going to take some yeah, time. I mean, Lions are a top 10 team, though, too. Um, so, I mean, I know it's crazy to think that and crazy to say that because they haven't been forever. But Lions, no, Lions are definitely going to be a, a very good team. So it, it was a tough loss on last night, Thursday night. But no, they're by no means, uh, by no means an easy, easy win or anything anymore. 
Let's uh, what my last question for you, Lance. This has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. It's been it's been awesome. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. What preseason going into the year? What were we were the fans hopeful about the Packers making the playoffs? Just that's a very general question again. I, yeah, I I think overall they thought kind of like what you said. Like my prediction for the season was literally nine and eight if a lot of things go right, and eight and nine if they don't go as well, but basically in that ballpark, you know, and, and the, like Mason Crosby, we're so used to him making game winning field goals that that can literally swing your season one to two games by just a field goal at the end of the game. So Anders Carlson, you know, with his extra point against the saints, that wins you a game that maybe you could have lost. So, you know, you got to have that when you're a team that has a, a small margin for error. So I think people thought that the division isn't going to be super strong. Uh, I would tell anybody that would, would listen that the Vikings were a regressing team because they lost a lot of pieces on defense. Delvin Cook, Adam Thielen, okay, yeah, they're getting long in the tooth, but those are still some significant losses. And the Vikings weren't possibly going to win as many one-score games as what they were last year. And I'm not a Justin Fields fan, um, and I don't think the Bears are there, and clearly they aren't. I think they're a train wreck. So, uh, you know, the division is not that strong. You can, for the most part, like you said, the Lions are the strong team. So if you can clean up on the rest of the division, win a schedule that's, you know, more of what, a third place schedule and things like that, um, you can you can do okay for the, your first season and maybe sneak into the playoffs. So it still remains to be seen, but I, I think they're kind of in that area on the cusp of maybe being the last team to kind of sneak in. Do, you th do the fans look at it yeah. as um... – only their only chance for the playoffs is winning the division because it's been I said this before in the show too a, a couple episodes ago uh when we were talking about the NFL I mean just this past week's preview or recap we did on Tuesday it's been kind of a weird season I know it's super early obviously only it's, it's only been you know really three games except for the you know Thursday night but it's only through week three it seems like the NFC is kind of um exceeding expectations for a lot of people going into the season. I mean, you look at Atlanta, they're two and one lions. I mean, we all knew they were going to be good, but they're three and one uh, commanders, two and one saints, two and one and bucks, two and one. I didn't think, you know, I would think they would be maybe one and two at this point. Um, so, and then you look at other teams, obviously the Bengals one and two uh, Jacksonville's one and two jets are one and two, which we know obviously because of a uh, big part of Aaron, Aaron Rodgers going down, but it almost seems like the NFC is doing better than the NFC or the AFC this year, excuse me. And so by that being said, like what are the fans thinking about making the playoffs? Is it just winning the division or is is that the only way to really make the playoffs? And are they really hopeful that they can make the playoffs with, you know, through a wild card spot? Yeah, it, it will be tough. There's no doubt about it. And I think, you know, early part of the season, it's easy to overreact to. Like, there are teams that get hot at the end of the year every single year. Sometimes uh, you don't want to diminish a slow start, but sometimes teams get off to a slow start and they play way better in December and November and because of injuries and just cohesion and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I would think winning the division is probably the more advantageous route just because I don't, like I mentioned, the, I don't think the division is all that super strong. And you do have some teams that – I think, you know, yeah, the Cowboys and Eagles, you know, in, in on one side. And, um, you know, you can obviously point to like a couple other things, too, that that might be a little tougher than what you thought they were going to be. Um, but overall, I, I I still think they could maybe sneak in. Yeah. No, I mean, it's you might look back 
on last night's game and realize that that last night's game might end up deciding uh you know if they make the playoffs or not when it comes to the to, you know down to the end of things and uh let's just hope that's not really the case but you know, obviously they'll get a chance to play him again but i just you know that was that we might be looking back like i said after week uh week 18 and realizing how you know how much weight was on this game last night like i said lance this has been awesome really appreciate your time have to have you on again uh you know maybe down the line nfl season maybe even if the brewers uh you know hopefully do make a deep run in the in the into the playoffs we'll have to have you on again and uh talk some more milwaukee sports sounds good thanks yeah, Jared. Th thanks for thanks, coming on thanks. really appreciate it. we'll do this again no soon thanks. all right good show guys let's finish up with our off the maps and long hauls of the week justin who's your off the map of the week my off-the-map of the week is Devon Aching, running back for the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins running game is obviously number one in the league, and Devon Aching is getting very little praise. He's doing just as well as uh, as Raheem, Raheem Mostert. Yes, Raheem Mostert and Devon Aching in the backfield is a one-two punch for the Dolphins so far. That offense is just flying on all cylinders. As we've said, as you got, as everybody has seen, that's uh, Devon Aching. Very good, very good pickup for the Dolphins. Uh, my off the map of the week, the Marlins might have to play one inning uh, to determine if they make the playoffs. Thursday night, the Marlins took a two to one lead against the Mets in the top of the ninth. It started pouring. They wanted to resume the game, but eventually were not able to actually uh, resume the game. By role, um, yeah, by role, they would actually have to go back and finish this inning and start the inning over again. They can't count the Marlins win because, like I said, it, the inning was started and they would actually have to go back to the previous inning uh, to finish up the game. Marlins are a half game away from the NL wildcard spot uh, at the time of this recording. And yeah, so very, very bad situation for the Marlins that would absolutely be terrible if they have to decide their playoff chances and then making the playoffs by one inning and just to have to go back and play one inning for their chances for the playoffs just sounds like a disastrous situation so yeah not many people talking about that crazy story and uh yeah that's uh, we'll, we'll see what happens and uh yeah we'll see what happens Zach who's your off the map of the week my off the map of the week is Gabe Kapler getting fired by the San Francisco Giants. And people, I don't think, realize how attractive this job actually is. They won 107 games just two years ago. And more importantly, when you take a look at their payroll the next couple of years, they've only got $110 million committed in 2024 and only $45 million in 2025. So I expect them to be big players. Remember last year, a lot of people thought Aaron Judge was going to go there. That didn't happen. I think they're going to pursue Shohei Otani. I think they're going to go after all the top free agents in this uh this availability in this free agent class. So the San Francisco Giants, it's a franchise that's won three World Series over the last decade. It's one of the best jobs in baseball, and now it's open. I'm interested to see who they target as the next potential manager. I think Buck Showalter, Bob Melvin, you know, those guys are probably going to get fired from their jobs. Maybe they take a trip out west. You know, Dusty Baker and Phil Nevin, their contracts are expiring. Uh, Craig Council, his contract's expiring. I think the Giants are going to be able to pony up to get – a solid manager, and if they can do that, I think they're going to be big players, and I think you're going to see this team back in contention pretty quickly. Justin, finish us off. Who's your long haul of the week? 
My long haul of the week is the schedule flexing in the NFL. It's time to start flexing games. Dolphins-Bills should be the Sunday night game. And there's a lot of good 1 p.m. games. The Ravens and the Browns are a very good game. Dolphins-Bills, obviously, as we all just mentioned. And uh, what else? 1 o'clock. Steelers-Texans maybe should be a 425 game. Maybe it's time to start flexing things around if you're the NFL uh, starting this week, maybe even starting in week three. Yeah, we talked about it earlier too. Uh, that Dolphins bill should definitely be a uh, should definitely be a nighttime game, uh, either Sunday or or Monday. My long haul of the week, uh, the the uh, Toy Story presentation uh, for the London game coming up on Sunday. It's my long haul of the week because we've been hearing about it so much. It's been basically you know shoved down our throats, but. I'm actually very excited to see how it turns out. I'm not going to watch the whole game on the telecast, but uh, it's just a really cool testament of how far technology has come. I mean, fans are going to be able to view every run, pass, score, and all the football, like all the football action basically going on on the field in Wimby Stadium in state of the art tracking technology. That's basically just going to be a real time, uh, you know, rendition of what's actually happening on the field. It could really backfire. Uh, that's why, you know, I'm excited to see how it turns out. But it also could be really, really cool. And, uh, yeah, just uh, shows, you know, how far technology has come. And I'm, I'm excited to see how, uh, how, it, how it pans out on Sunday morning. Zach, uh, what is your long haul of the week? So my long haul of the week is Chase Claypool. He's frustrated by the usage and the Bears losing. And I think at some point – this team's just going to blow it all up. They're going to start all over, head coach, GM, quarterback. I, I don't think everybody in Chicago that's currently there, they're not there for the long haul. It's a franchise that's been an absolute master of chaos over the last 10 to 15 years or so. They've never had a great quarterback, never had great receivers. It's kind of impressive that they've managed to bungle those positions so easily. And so I, I think you're going to see the Bears at least have a top two or three pick this time I if they get the number one pick, I think they're actually going to keep it this time. But Chase Claypool talking about his lack of usage. Well, we saw Chase Claypool's lack of effort in week one against the Packers. There's a reason you're not getting used much. You actually have to try for people to throw you the football. So I don't want to hear it from Chase Claypool, but it just symbolizes what the Chicago Bears are represented by right now, which is mediocrity and actually just downright terribleness by now. Yeah, uh, it's the it's- – yeah, it's basically the Caleb Williams uh, sweepstake at this point. And according to Justin Fields, it's the coaching staff as to why he's playing so bad. So maybe if he goes somewhere else, he'll play better. Who knows? Week 16, Cardinals play the Bears. Like I said, there's a Caleb Williams uh, sweepstakes going on. That's That could be a very interesting game down the stretch. <laughs> um, we'll see how that kind of pans out. But yeah, uh, both teams definitely in rebuild mode. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens and who ends up where Caleb Williams ends up going. And more importantly, Zach, like you said, what the what the Bears end up doing if they you know if they only get three four wins this year? Great show, guys. Tuesday going to have on Bob Nightingale breaking down MLB playoffs starting Tuesday night, wild card starting Tuesday night. We go through all the teams that are in the running, uh, all the teams' chances of making a playoff push going into October and. and uh, yeah, great interview with him. Really, uh, really breaks it down for us because it's a great rundown and a great overview of uh, what to expect in the pennant races. But until then, guys, we're going to log off now and we'll see you all on Tuesday and keep on traveling.